Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. A week ago, I was in America reporting a documentary for the BBC on the Democratic Party in the midterms in Texas and Georgia. And then I went to the Northeast to interview a couple of historians. And I stopped off at Princeton University to speak with the novelist Alexander Hammon about how nations devolve into civil war, something he knows about intimately. Today, Sasha is one of America's foremost novelists and essayists, but he was born in Sarajevo, in what was Yugoslavia, and is today Bosnia-Herzegovina. In 1992, he was on vacation in the U.S. when the Bosnian War started, and Sarajevo immediately was besieged. He couldn't get home, and the siege wouldn't end until three years later. Our conversation was wide-ranging, but not very cheerful, and I dithered about putting it up. And then pipe bombs were mailed to Democratic Party leaders, and suddenly it seemed important to get these views out to a wider audience. Like most people from the Balkans, Alexander Hemon has a long memory, and we began by discussing something too easily forgotten. American society didn't get to where it is because Donald Trump was elected. It had been headed in that direction for a long time. To think that Trump just came out of nowhere... And this, this just happened to us, this uh, kind of either natural catastrophe that will just pass or that, as people have been saying, some people have been saying, this is not us. Um, I think that's totally delusional. There was a, it is easy for me to see the process that leads at least from Bush to Trump, from 2000 to now. And the continuity is, I don't know, the, the, the culture of lies. You know, the famous Karl Rove quote, you know, we create reality. They demeaned, but he demeaned the reality-based community. He said, we create realities. And he was referring to the Bush years and the selling of the war in Iraq. But this is just, um, you know, the metastasis of, of that approach. So Republicans have been on it for a long time. America, certain parts of America, have been on it for a long time. Yeah. Trump is kind of the Baroque face of that process. When I, when I look at America, I'm also seeing, you know, the language that would make you think there could be violence tomorrow, that the country could simply disintegrate into civil war, which seems in, insane to me because I've just been traveling in Texas and in Georgia where life is completely normal. And, you know, the anger is mostly coming out of the radio or on television. But I wonder, because you come from Bosnia, you grew up in a country that was one thing, and then it disintegrated very quickly. Um, do you see analogies? I do. Violence is already on. What the ICE is committing is violence. Separating children from their parents is violence. There's a widely spread state violence approved and um, sanctioned by the state, and there's going to be more. There was... Well, the other day, there was a group of what we call Proud Boys, essentially stormtroopers. They were just beating people on the street in New York. And so violence um, that tore Bosnia apart was military, and you could see it f uh, from a satellite and from America. But I remember random acts of violence in Sarajevo that um, even then seemed to me like the beginning of it, the symptoms, that something just changed. There was a time... When, you know, I would go to a club, and if you, before that, I would have 
been relatively comfortable getting into a shoving match with someone in a, in a dance club or something, right? But there was a point where I thought, no, now there are weapons everywhere. I can get shot. I also remember that there was a, in my neighborhood, there was a, um, a man who was mentally challenged but lived with his family. So he would wander around the neighborhood, kind of railing and ranting and talking to himself. And we, who grew up with him, could talk to him and knew what he wanted to hear. And so he was like a, you know, a feature of the neighborhood. He was totally benign. He would just smoke and, and you know, tell these incoherent stories. And then someone just beat him up. And he was found, you know, with broken nose bleeding on the pavement. And to me, that meant that some force was unleashed. And that force is unleashed, and it was unleashed from the top. And his, it, it was being unleashed for a long time, right? And so the people attacked Muslims in this country during the beginning of the Bush after 9-11, um, people being randomly arrested. And there's, there's, a, there's a history of that violence that then gets more and more intense. One of the symptoms of the oncoming disintegration, or at least weakening, is that um, there are selective realities. You can say, oh, everything looks fine, it's okay, it's okay where I am, we're in Princeton, looks great. It's, you, you bring up selective reality. I do think that reality itself, I'm speaking to you, asking you now as a novelist, reality is fragmenting. I used to say, there's re be real, there's reality. You and I are sitting here, and it is quite a nice view. You know, it's all, all good. But people sit at home, a lot of sitting at home, and what they're looking at seems to be a different reality. And I don't know that people have the intellectual capability anymore, even educated people, to question and say, well, that's not really real. You know, it's like I grew up, people say, you know, Mike, what you see on TV, my father would say, Mike, that's not real. But now it's like, is this real and that's real? And people kind of trip over from one to the other. Well, they do. I mean, there were stations like Fox News in former Yugoslavia before the war, just spewing outrageous lies. But they had the authority of, of media, because media, even this at this time and age, even now, uh, if something is told with a straight face on TV or on the radio, it sounds like it could be true. And then, if it could be true, then people negotiate it to the full truth if it suits them. But in Yugoslavia, before the war, I mean, the, that kind of propaganda creating reality then, then became reality needed to be fulfilled, so to speak, right? So in other words, there was a, rather than reporting on what is happening, the uh, propagandistic media was creating a picture and then it was creating conditions in which the actual state of things would have to fit into that picture. And this was so widespread that you would have not just you know, the news on TV and lies and, and rumors um, and the widespread disbelief in the former sources of truth and um, authorities on facts. Or just people just say outrageous things with no consequence, right? We interviewed them as journalists and we thought, I worked as a journalist, back in their um, late 80s, early 90s. And our approach was, if you just let them say they are their outrageous things, that people will use their faculty of reason and say, oh, well, this cannot possibly be true, this is just crazy. And so we would um, let them speak and it will be self-evident that they're lunatics. 
but it doesn't work really. Um, well, that's an important that's an important lesson because what would you what would you tell? the editors at the New York Times or the Washington Post who have to make this decision every single day. The premise, I think it is, I understand why journalists of that caliber and of that experience are inclined to do what they do. I don't think it's a, it's a moral failure. I think it's a conceptual failure in that that they assume that the public space and these values would outlive these people. No one will change their mind because they hear what Steve Bannon says and they think, oh, this is just crazy. They, they, oh, my, the minds have already been made up. You just said something really interesting about uh, that the public space will survive and your experience is that it's entirely possible that it won't. Well, it's already crumbling. We're fighting for something and it's, it's an either-or proposition, really. We're fighting over something and we can't both win. That what, what Trump did, which is somewhat different from Bush, this is the metastatic aspect of Trump, is that he crossed the line beyond which there is no re- reconciliation. There is no reconciliation. We have One of us will have to win. One side has to win. We cannot live. And this is the terrifying thing, and I'm terrified just for saying this, but who is going to make compromises with these people? Is um, after, I don't know, Trump loses the election. If the Democrats win the midterm elections, do you think that Trump and Republicans would simply concede? The lines have been drawn, and there's no reason to try to find common ground, really, because the, the options are mutually exclusive. Yeah. You know, I went to Bosnia. I had a few rotations in during the war, and I spent most of the time covering the failed diplomacy. It was mostly failed diplomacy while your country disintegrated. And then I, I was in Iraq. And I spent a lot of time in Northern Ireland. So it's three civil wars that I have pretty intimate knowledge of. And I've often tried to quantify what percentage of a population wanting to fight is enough to cause a civil war. I wonder if you have a sense of that. Um, what needs to happen is there has to be a committed minority Who's people who are willing to go as far as possible, including murder, and then a majority who um, can, in their heads, make the case for that kind of thing to justify it. So, this, in other words, you don't need everyone to be murderous. You just need some to be murderous, and the rest of them saying, "Well, we don't really know," or they're doing it too, or they, um, you know. We, the world has been unjust to us. This is a symptom of nationalism, invariably. Been, the world has been unjust to us and exploiting us for such a long time. It's time for us to take our sovereignty and pride in our hands and then do with it. And if some people have to die, well, so be it. And so it's not even a tacit support. It is open support, but not the murderous military violent operations are not done by everyone. And it's not that the support has to precede the murderous operations. It is what happened in Yugoslavia and other places, uh, including Germany in the 30s, was there were first murderous operations, violence and killing, uh, which forced people who were sitting on the fence to choose the side. You either with them, with them or with us. And if you're with them, you can't rejoin us and you can also get killed. And so there's a point where people 
even if they might have ethical doubts, they will choose survival. If I join the winning party, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll be able to survive this. If I stay with these people as a loyal neighbor, or you know not denying my background, then I might get killed and my property might get destroyed. Well, then I would say we're not quite there yet. We're rhetorically very close. There are isolated incidents where people walk into churches in Charleston, South Carolina, and shoot worshipers. And there are, you know, fights like we saw over the weekend in New York, where the, you know, some bully boys decided to go at anti-fascist counter-protesters. But we aren't at a place where there's a general coming on the screen in a paid for because corporations are people, paid for television ad, saying it, we need to make America great again and it's time to fight the internal enemy. We are not there yet. We're not. But I mean, when we're there, that's, that's the end of it. There's nowhere else to go. That's it. There's no, that can only end one way. That cannot be backed away from. This is a bigger and more complex, in some ways more complex. In some other ways, Yugoslavia and Balkan countries are more complex. Countries, so I don't think that'll be a simply, you know, the army choosing a side and then coming out to shoot civilians. I think the violence will be more random and more widespread, and it will not be centralized. So that you, there will be random violence as there already is, and there'll be more of it. I can't remember the statistic about the increase of hate crimes in this country after Trump's election, but if you add to it the crimes that uh, the government is committing in the name of you know, the new policies, the separation of children from their families, the illegal detention of, of immigrants, including illegal immigrants, and so on. Is that, uh, I cannot measure the increase in violence. And this is going to change, I think, after midterm elections, because at this time a lot of people believe that the outlet for the anger is still has a, a, a political um, dimension. So we are really pissed. We're going to vote. Everyone should go out to vote. And if that doesn't pan out, then what is the next thing? Maybe you know, next election when Trump um, in 2020, if Trump is up for re-election, then there will be another mobilization. But if that doesn't work out, then what? Part of the the crumbling of a, of reality is is the deterioration of belief in the value of political participation and American democracy and so on. It's really hard to believe for a lot of people, and I would never really blame people who didn't vote for all this. Um, it's really hard for people to believe that if they vote that something will change. And this has been historically the case in America for a lot of people, not everyone, right? It's a fragmented reality. But what is also going to happen is that um, there's going to be a clear, clearly defined block to expression of political will democratic will of, of Americans, that if Republicans are putting things in place where simply the ceiling will be established, and then no matter how you vote and how many people vote, there'll be blockages. Gerrymandering, water suppression, just ignoring the edicts or decisions of the Congress or other people. So that in some ways, I mean, to me, every, Bosnia is a model for everything. But in Bosnia presently, there's a state in which large part of it is exclusively participating in it so as to block it and make it non-function, right? It's sort of, and so we are at a point where, to a large extent, Republicans were doing that during the Obama years. 
and um, if there's any challenge to their uh, reign, right, after the midterm elections or the next elections, they are very close and have every element in place to block the function of the government, the state, which will then, uh, among other things, completely devalue the notion of democracy. Why are we doing this? Which means that we will have to go out on the street and find another outlet for some kind of, for democratic desires and will and anger. And then that will lead to violence because those Nazis roaming the streets of New York the other day, right? They, they ran into three random citizens and beat them up because they're cowards. But there will come a time where we'll have to be facing them, right? And there will be, the police will have to choose a side. Jeez, it would be a shame to end a conversation on that note. <laughs> I bring sunshine into people's lives. <laughs> I can't do that. No, this guy, I'm, not look, I'm not looking. No, no, I'm not looking for uplift, right? Because I think exactly as you do. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a pessimist by life experience. I don't know where this goes, and I. And I, I think that it's kind of. It doesn't have a political solution. It has to be extra political. To what extent, I do not know because it is in itself a symptom of the, um, the weakness and the insufficiency of the American democratic system that Trump is president and that this is possible. And so um, what we could loosely call the left finds itself in a situation where they want to preserve you know, the institutions of the, of the old order, whereas the conservatives are the destructive force. They are the revolutionaries. They are changing everything. Trump is the, the punisher, the, the, the tool for destruction. And, and that's not sustainable because, I mean, the left who trying to preserve the integrity of the FBI, I mean, how absurd is that? In the 60s, the FBI was the, the big enemy of the left, eavesdropping on everyone, right? And then arresting people from Martin Luther King to Weather Underground. Um, but now they are friends, right? They are, and that's just crazy. I think there has to be, and it's another hard thing for me to say, that there has to be some something undone to be redone. It cannot, we cannot preserve this. No one wants this. No one wants this. Not the conservatives, not the leftists. No one really wants this. People who want to, who are rooting for the FBI as a kind of a, as a stopgap measure. Maybe they'll just stop this calamity right right now and then we'll, we'll think of something while they're stopping it. But the fact of the matter is that in some ways we have to kiss America goodbye and then think of about, think about the next thing, what's beyond this, whatever it is. If they win, then it's going to be horrible, right? Uh, they will undo whatever is good in this America and then amplify what's terrible, and that's the new one. But what is it that we want? The failure of the Democratic Party now is um, their total inability to, to imagine the next thing. They cannot imagine even this thing, let alone the next thing. Accepting that we may be at the end of a phase of American history, imagining what the next step is, and thinking about how to preserve what is still good, and fighting for it, is the challenge of our time. Not burden, challenge. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. You can hear more, lots more, not all of it somber, at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com. And while you're there, please make a donation to keep these podcasts coming. Thanks.